Our scripture this morning is 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 50 through 58. I invite you to turn, turn there and follow along. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 50. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but all shall be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, the mortal puts on immortality. Then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Would you pray with me? Yes. Father, we thank you for this truth of the resurrection. We thank you that our labor is not in vain and that this so important truth is a solid foundation for us to build a life upon. Father, trusting in Christ's resurrection. Help us to not neglect this truth. Help us to believe this truth and all that flows out of it. Help us to see the implications of the resurrected Lord and help us to live a life that reflects that. Father, I pray for myself now as I preach, I pray that you would bless the words that come out of my mouth, that you would bless the ears of those who hear, as well as my own heart, and that you would help us to live as people who truly believe in the resurrection. Christ, I pray. Amen. Amen. He is risen. He is risen indeed. That was a test. You passed. <laughs> so... We, we come together on Sundays, and we, we call Sundays the Lord's Day. And the reason we do that is because we celebrate the resurrection each week. We don't celebrate the resurrection once a year at Easter, but we celebrate the resurrection each, each week. Why is that? Because He is risen. He doesn't rise once a year. He didn't do this over and over again, but He did it once and for all. He is risen and that is a reality that our faith is based upon. There's a people group in the Andes Mountains. Uh, there's, a, there's, there's a section of people that believe that every Good Friday, Christ is crucified again. Every Good Friday, he dies. And he's dead for three days. And so during those three days, they go crazy. And they sin as big as they can because they believe that Jesus is dead and that they're not accountable. And then on Easter, they stop sinning 
Well, they don't really stop sinning, but you get the point. They think they can stop sinning because they think he's alive again. What they don't realize is he's been alive since he was resurrected. The resurrection is forever for Christ. We serve a resurrected Lord. That is a crucial part of the gospel. Earlier in chapter, in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians where we just read, Paul is defending the resurrection. Just like there are people today who don't understand the resurrection and are messing it up. There were people already debating the resurrection. What was the, what was the nature of the resurrection? Did he really raise? And Paul had to defend this. He defended it using himself as a witness. He defended it using the apostles as, a, as witnesses. He defended it pointing out how many people saw the risen Lord who was truly risen. And he tells them, this is of utmost importance. This is a part of the gospel. And if it's not true, I am one of the most pathetic people in the world because I have given my life to a risen Lord. And if he's not risen, what am I doing? So that is what leads up to this text that we read. Paul is laying out a defense of the resurrection and also the implications of the resurrection. Through the resurrection, we receive something as, as Christ's people, as people who are united to Christ. He has begun a good work in us, and he will complete it in the resurrection. We will see this work completed as we are given a resurrected body one day. Whether living or dead, we will all receive a resurrected body, he says, um, but I'll get there in a moment. That re- the resurrection is crucial for us. And so the resurrection is one of those components of the gospel, right? He died, he buried, and rose again. And the resurrection is real. It's not a hypothetical, it's not a spiritualized thing. The resurrection is a real thing. And our faith is in vain if it is not. Because we desperately need a real resurrection. Um, in our confession of sin, actually, the, the first part here, uh, this struck me. But in the sin of our first parents, we have disorder and we have chaos in this world. And we continue in that sin to this day. We need the resurrection we need the new creation that comes along with it because we live in a state of chaos. I don't know if you're familiar with the second law of thermodynamics, but in an isolated system, entropy increases. And what is entropy, you may be asking? Entropy is this, it's this constant movement from order to disorder, okay? And we live in an isolated system in this fallen world. Without God, you would live in an isolated system. And you would go further and further into decay. But thanks be to God, he reaches in and hands us the victory in Christ. In an isolated system, there is no hope. With no resurrection, you're in an isolated system. With no resurrection, you are stuck. But thanks be to God... He has given us the victory. And the resurrection is imperishable. The type of resurrection that Christ has is imperishable. And so people were asking Paul, 
So what was the nature of this resurrected body? And he tells them, it's not like the body you got from Adam. It's better. It's not like the perishable. It's imperishable. That's also crucial because the imperishable is what we are inheriting. And the perishable are not ready for that. The perishable are not proper for that. So as fallen sinners and fallen bodies, the resurrection makes us into the image of Christ. We who were in the image of Adam are made into the image of Christ in the resurrection. This is a work he's begun in the hearts of believers, but we do not know it fully. But sinners will be given new life and new bodies. But do we live as those who believe that the resurrection is real? Do we live as those who believe that they are moving from the perishable to the imperishable? Or do we simply live for our comfort and our enjoyment in this life? It's, it's tempting to do that for sure. But Paul says, if the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. This is almost a sarcastic statement that he's making If the dead are not raised, this life is all we have. But praise be to God, the dead are raised. And contrary to what some TV preachers may tell us, we do not live our best lives now. But our best lives are yet to come. And that's what Paul is getting at. He says, if the dead are not raised, let's live our best life right now. Paul was clearly not living his best life. He was living a hard life. And he was looking forward to that better life, that best life that lay ahead of him. And so we can joyfully lay down our own lives in the here and now only because we hope in the resurrection. Only because that we have the hope of his blessed return for the resurrection of his elect. And without the hope, all we have is this life. But praise be to God, the resurrection is certain. The resurrection declares his victory, and he brings us into that victory. He gives us that victory as well. And so we can say that victory is certain. That, the last point in your bulletin there is victory is certain, and it's really just derived from the first two points, and you see it lived out in verse 58. And victory is certain. So our text this morning tells us to abound in the work of our conquering king, abound in the work of the Lord. That word abound is found in uh, verse 58 there. And that's not a word we use very often. In your sentences throughout the day, how often does the word abound creep into it? So let me give us a little bit of an idea of what we mean when we say that word abound. Flourishing, thriving, taking root, growing. That's the nature that we're looking for in the work of the Lord. That's what we're looking for it to be doing in our lives. It's not simply do some works for the Lord. That's not what Paul says. He doesn't say just do some works for the Lord. He says abound in these things. They should take root in your lives, characterize your lives, be growing in your lives. The work of the Lord should always be growing in our lives because we always have room to grow in the work of the Lord in our lives. And Paul can proclaim this in confidence because his life is just a moment. And he knows, he knows this. 
as he is busy about the work of the Lord, he knows it's just a moment. This is just a blip on the screen of eternity. And he realizes this truth, and he rests in this truth, and the resurrection is anchoring him in all of this. Paul, who has suffered and lived a pitiful life by the world's standards, can say that the resurrection is certain. The resurrection does declare a victory, and Christ's victory is certain. We serve this conquering king. Paul has already made the case for the certainty of Christ's resurrection, as he says, the, the verses we read. But let's return to those verses now. Let's look at verse 50 through 53. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. So in his defense of the resurrection, Paul has given this this um, parallel is probably not the right word, but this comparison of the first Adam and the second Adam. First Adam being Adam in creation. Not Adam Parker, but the Adam, <laughs> that Adam. And that Adam, in his image, were brought into sin and were brought into death. And then in the second Adam, were brought into life and were delivered from our sin. So he gives this, this picture here. We all start in this Adam, and the elect end in this Adam. And so when he says these verses that I just read, immortality, mortality, imperishable, perishable, he's comparing those two situations, those in Adam and those in Christ. And he says that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of, of God. What does this mean? With flesh and blood here, he's talking about the here and now. The things that we see as we know them, everything in its fallen state. Just as certain as the resurrection of Christ is, is the certainty of Christ's elect being resurrected. And that's, this is really what he's getting at here. He's saying, everything you're looking at is not worthy of the kingdom. But when Christ comes again, you're going to get another body. He said, I tell you a mystery. In an instant, it's going to happen. And the Lord will come. And the dead will receive new bodies. But not just the dead will receive new bodies. Even those living will receive new bodies because this body is not worthy of the kingdom. And he says that this must happen in verse 53. And it must happen to all of God's people. Christ is bringing a radical change because we are all imperishable. We are all perishable, but we must inherit the imperishable. We don't know anything like that. All we know is perishable in this world, but we must be transformed. We are not meant to stay as we are. Our fallen, corrupted, perishable 
bodies are not compatible with the perfect. They are not compatible with the imperishable. So don't think so highly of your life now. Don't think so highly of your body now that you miss this. But instead, cling to the resurrected body. Do not cling to this body. Do not cling to this earth. But instead, cling to the hope of the resurrection that you will know. And the resurrection is something that Christ's return brings with it. And he brings with it to the entire church. When we do our creeds and confession, we use this word, the the Holy Catholic Church, and sometimes we define it because that's a confusing word for us. It's a hard word for us. And we're talking about the church, all places, and, and in all times. In the resurrection, that church will be united in all receiving the imperishable at one time. That is the true picture of the Catholic Church there. A church united, one in the resurrection. And that is the hope that is laid out before us in our text. And that is the hope that is certain. And that, so we build our lives upon a certain truth. The resurrection is happening. Christ is coming back. And it will happen in an instant. He says, with the trumpet sound. We have this picture of the day of the Lord. Throughout the scriptures, we've been waiting on the day of the Lord. Where Christ will come, trumpet sound, gather his elect, exiled from all over the world to worship on his holy hill, declaring his victory. And this is a great and glorious event that, that Paul is talking about. So he says, I tell you a mystery. This is a great and glorious event that we only know a part of. We can only see this glorious event in part in just what revealed in this text, as well as all of scriptures, um, we only have a, a window into this event. But from our tiny little vantage points, we can only hope and speculate at times of what this will be. Mm-hmm. But we do know that everyone in Christ will be resurrected. All will be made new. And as Reve- Revelation tells us in verse In chapter 21, verses 4 and 5, And death shall be no more. Neither shall thou be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And so that day of the Lord that is coming... Is a, is a time where he is making all of the saints new. All of the saints from all time. United as the Holy Catholic Church. Worshiping together. And the church needs the resurrection. Christ's church needs Christ's resurrection. And he has made it certain. And because of his victory over death, we no longer live in the shadows of death. We no longer live in the fear of death. And so the resurrection declares his victory. The day of the Lord declares his victory. But he also declares a victory for us. 
So the resurrection is victory as we see it in the text here. It's victory over our death. Um, in Adam, we only have sin and death. And so you start this life and you're, you're on a timer, right? And you're, you, and you're anticipating an end. And everything you know is anticipating an end. And for years, we live under this shadow. But in Christ, death's sting is gone. Why is that? It's because he has defeated death. He has shown himself to be a worthy adversary to death when he comes back to life. In his resurrection, he proclaims, I have the power over death. Death has no power. Christ has all of the power. And so the sting of death is removed. But not only is the sting of death removed, let's look at the text. Because he says, this, in verse 56, the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. So death has already lost to Christ, but so has sin. As he has made justification for your sins, as you have failed to do the law, as the law condemns you, it's also pointing you to Christ because he is the perfect keeper of the law. He is the one who lives. He is the one who is advocating for his people. So when Christ, not only has death lost its sting, but so has sin for the believer. And so he has given us victory, even though we still fail, even though we still live in a fallen world. And we know this victory in part now. We hope in the fullness of what's to come in his resurrection. And we trust in his victory, a total victory. We were born in Adam's image, and we are reborn into Christ's image. And so the resurrection is Christ's victory over death for his people. But thanks be to God, verse 57, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Note that there. We don't acquire the victory in any other way. He gives us the victory. That is another important part of our faith to understand, is that as we were born into defeat, and even as we earn further defeats through our lives, the victory is a once and for all victory from Christ. And the pivotal moment in this is the resurrection where he declares victory for us. When all we had was this perishable body, we were slaves to death. But now we have victory over death. We once had to fear illness because it was the death stamp, death sentence for us. We, had, we lived for each day but could have no eternal joy or peace without Christ. And without Christ, people can acquire futile gains, um, sometimes have what appears to be a successful life even. Or they can also suffer great loss without Christ. You can do both of those things on this earth, but all of that will eventually come to an end. This life is short, so the best of our victories outside of Christ are still going to close out eventually in a failure, in vanity. 
Ecclesiastes words it that way. It's all vanity. The best of your wealth, the best of your successes outside of Christ are vanity. And so you have in Ecclesiastes, you get to chapter 12, and it's, you're reflecting back on all of life and all of the things that you thought were valuable, you're realizing aren't valuable. And then the writer of Ecclesiastes says that here's the end of all things. Fear God and keep his commandments because that's the duty of man. That is something that you can do in the here and now, in this flesh and blood, and in eternity. All of the other things that we do will pass away. This flesh and blood will pass away. But as we are brought into his resurrection, we're given an opportunity to lay up treasure in heaven. But everything we know here has a lifespan to it. I've already said that. This building has a lifespan. Even a CD has a lifespan. I don't know if you realize this. Uh, if you've had any old CDs and you go to play them and they, they quit playing, it's because they're deteriorating. Even our digital media is organic at some level and it is breaking down, okay? That is all we have ever known. Outside of Christ, that is all we could ever have. And again, I'll return to the second law of thermodynamics here. We are, we are existing... Outside of Christ, we are existing in an isolated system that will just continue to deteriorate, deteriorate. That system desperately needs intervention, desperately needs an outside force to step in and breathe life into it. And that is what we have in Christ. So thanks be to God who gives us this victory through Christ. His kingdom is one that will forever reign in order. Consider that. Remember, Paul said we must put on the imperishable. That is because we are stepping in to another kingdom where it is imperishable and will go on forever. If you were to simply take what we have now and, and just reboot it and then let it go again, what would happen? It would do the same. It would still be corrupted. It would still fall away. No, we must be made different. And so he brings change to us. And that victory is certain, and it impacts the way we live. It, it, we are called to live as those who believe in the resurrection, who are living lives that are not looking for fruit here necessarily. But instead, we are laying up our treasures where the moth cannot destroy it, where it will not know rust, where it will not know rot or decay. But the danger is always starting zealous for this, right? We come into the faith. We hear this doctrine of the resurrection. We are, we are charged. We are vigorous. And then the work of the Lord becomes hard. And the fruit is slow coming. And it's frustrating. And you look out and you see another world that doesn't have Christ that seems to be doing okay. And so the temptation is to drift away from the work of the Lord and become disillusioned with the work of the Lord. So one of the challenges for us is that we cannot be steadfast by our own strength. And so the Lord, before he ascended into heaven, 
promised to send the helper. We pray, and his Holy Spirit is with us now. So as we wait for, to know his resurrection fully, he is with us. And he tells us, he commands us to pray. So that as we become disillusioned in waiting on this resurrection, he will encourage us and he will help us along. We must rely on him. And he is our confidence, knowing that this is not in vain. Remember, Paul begins this chapter by saying, if there's no resurrection, what am I even doing? What is the point? I am, a, I am living a pathetic life by the world standard if there is no resurrection. But he is our confidence. We live knowing that it's not in vain. Have you come to the realization that something you were doing was pointless in life? Has this ever happened where maybe you were paying for car insurance on a car that you had already sold or had broken down? Uh, for me, I planted a plant that was pretty much dead already, and um, I, I knew that the plant was dead, but I, I was hopeful, I was optimistic that the plant would come back to life. And I planted it in my garden, and I've been watering it for months, and it has not come back to life, but I'm still doing it. I need to come to the, res- the realization at this point that that's, that's a pointless endeavor. The plant is not coming. Um, I need to let it go. But, uh, so Paul says, if there is no resurrection... Investing in the kingdom makes no sense. It's a pointless activity. But if there is a resurrection, investing in the kingdom is the only thing that makes sense. And living for the perishable is what is foolishness. It's like watering a dead plant. If I'm living for a life that I know is dead and dying, I am watering a dead plant. But instead, we were called to be abounding in the work of the Lord. His kingdom is the one that will last forever. And so are we building his kingdom? Are we laying up treasures in his kingdom? Are we more into our empire building? That's the temptation for us. We live in this world. It's what we see. It's always before us. And so we're tempted to invest in this world, we're tempted to invest in our little empires. But we're to be about the kingdom, not our empires. Knowing that this perishable will pass away should encourage us to cling loosely to these empires. It's not as if our lives don't matter here. Our lives matter here. The Lord has given us instructions on how to live here. Yes. That is what abounding in the work of the Lord is, yeah. is living here by his command. But as we do that, which one are we clinging to? Where are we really investing? Sow your seed in the field where you plan to spend the most time. Is that here or is that in eternity? Live like victory is certain. This life is not all for nothing. It is an opportunity for us to lay our treasures in heaven. He has given us that grace. He didn't snatch us up. As soon as we came to the faith. No, he gives us an opportunity to labor now for the kingdom. Consider that. Love the Lord. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all you have. And with joyful anticipation, await his resurrection. Would you pray with me? Father, I pray that you would help us 
to believe in the resurrection. Help us to believe that there is more than this life. Help us to live lives that are committed to you. Father, make your work abound in us, that we would thrive in doing your work, that it would be a joy to our hearts, that our eyes would be set on eternity, and that we would give you glory as we live our days out here on this earth. In Christ we pray. Amen.